0: Q effects. I want to talk about the Holy Spirit this morning. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I don't know everybody in the room, or maybe you subscribe to a different faith or maybe you grew up in a different tradition, or maybe you used to be in church and you're just trying to find your way back, I'm especially glad that you're here this morning uh, because we're going to address an issue that uh, might be an issue for you. Because for some people, the reason they stiff arm Christianity and organized religion in general is because they knew some Christians and they're incredible people. And from the outside looking in, they just feel like they could never be that good. It's like, I don't think I could ever be that good. I could never be that consistent. I could never be that. I'm not perfect. I'm not sure I can embrace Christianity because I've seen some Christians and I'm just not that good. This morning, I want to give you their secret. And you're going to discover that they're not as good as you thought they were. Because when you became a Christian, when you become a Christian, you get some help. And it's, it's hard on the outside looking at, in at Christianity. It's hard to factor in this supernatural help because you haven't had the help yet. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Let me just kind of make a confession um, before we get into the scripture. If you're going to follow along in your Bible today uh, or on your smartphone, most of the scripture today is going to be in Galatians chapter 5. If you want to try to look that up, if you're sitting where you can see it or get your phone out or whatever, we're going to look at some other verses as well, but we're mostly going to spend our teaching time here in Galatians chapter 5. Here's my confession. Most of you know that I grew up in church. Now, I... Okay, that doesn't really tell the story. My brother and I were pastor's kids, so we really grew up in church, like in the church. Uh, It wasn't just once a week. It was like every day, for some reason, in the church. So that was my experience. And through the years as a kid, I heard the Holy Spirit referenced a lot. Sometimes, though, back in the day, we were reading from the King James version of the Bible, and it was the Holy Ghost. Ghost. (laughs) Some of you have been there, right? You know what I'm talking about, which is a little freaky when you're a kid. And then some of the more modern translations, thankfully, came along and gained acceptance in the New American Standard and the the NIV. And it became the Holy Spirit, not the Holy Ghost, for which I was thankful. So as a kid, here's my take on the whole Holy Spirit thing. There was the Father, and there's the Son, and there's the Holy Spirit. And I could go along with the Father, you know, because I had a father. That kind of got a check mark. I could go along with the Son because I was a son. Holy Spirit didn't make a lot of sense to me because it didn't seem relatable. And the people who talked about it all the time honestly scared me. It's okay, you can laugh because because you're one of those people. No, you know what I'm talking about. It's just like, I don't think so. I don't really want that. That kind of freaks me out. It's possible that maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, And if you'd be honest, you'd say that that's kind of my take on it too. You believe there's a Holy Spirit because it's in the Bible and Jesus talked about him, but you couldn't give me a paragraph of information about the Holy Spirit. And the people who talk about it all the time maybe kind of freak you out a little bit, so you've just kind of stayed away from that. All that's understandable. And I'm hoping today we can clear up some of the confusion for all of us. And in a few minutes, before I wrap up, I want to talk about the practical side of the Holy Spirit's ministry in our lives. Hopefully this will be helpful. Maybe it will hopefully even clear up some confusion. And if you're not a Christian, hopefully this will motivate you to cross the line of faith and to take a step in the direction of following Jesus Christ. I actually want to read some verses that are not in Galatians to kind of set this thing up for our main text. And then we're going to look at the rest of these verses in Paul's letter to the Galatians. Here's what Jesus said about the coming or the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Because in the Old Testament, you know what's really cool today? Is uh, we've got kids in all four rooms over here. And I know the kids in dive today are talking about the Holy Spirit. We didn't even plan that. It just might be a Holy Spirit thing. It's like, you know, but that's kind of cool. But one of the things they're learning about is that the Uh, In the Old Testament, this is kind of odd, but the Holy Spirit would kind of drop down into situations from time to time. He would do some pretty interesting, wild things. But the Holy Spirit was not a daily part of anybody's life. And Jesus predicted that there would come a time when the Holy Spirit would come and be a part of our daily lives. So this is from John chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus is talking to his closest friends and followers, and here's what he says. He says, very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. And this is interesting. He says to the people closest to him, "I'm going to go away, and it's really good that I'm leaving." To which they're thinking, "No, it's bad that you're leaving. Uh, we remember what it was like before you came. What do you mean you're leaving? We, you're the Messiah. We believe that you are the Messiah, the promised Messiah, the Son of God. What do you mean you're living? You're leaving. What do you mean, Jesus? That's good for us. And Jesus says, "Well, I'm leaving, and it's going to be good that I'm leaving." He says, "Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you." They had no idea, no idea what he was talking about. He's like, look, I, I, I know you like having me with you, but I'm going to leave and, I, and I'm, I'm going to send somebody that's going to be in you. And you're going to be glad once he shows up to be in you. In John 14, Jesus talks real specifically about what he means by advocate or counselor. And the words are interchangeable. In John 14, verse 26, he says, But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, will remind you of everything I've said to you. The advocate, the counselor, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he says. So Jesus predicted that once he left, the Holy Spirit was going to come. Now, the interesting thing about this verse is that Jesus was very comfortable talking about these three different entities. He was comfortable talking about the Father, he was comfortable referring to himself as the Son, and he was comfortable talking about the Holy Spirit, not as an it, but as him. Now, in Christian theology, we call that the what? The Trinity. How many of you ever heard the word Trinity? All right. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We call it the Trinity. The word Trinity is not in the Bible, but it's the word we use to describe this doctrine of the Godhead, to describe these three entities in one, the three persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And over the years, people have said to me, I'm not sure I understand the Trinity. Can you explain the Trinity to me, please? To which I say, no, I can't. Not that I won't, I can't. Uh, I can't explain it, so there, aren't you glad you came? You know, it's like, can't help you there. Here's the deal. Here's how I understand it. Because Jesus was very comfortable talking about his relationship with his father. He talked about himself being the son. He talked about the Holy Spirit. But he never tried to explain the dynamics of the relationship. And because he didn't, neither will I. And if you know me and all, you know that I'm real simple. That if it's cool with Jesus, it's cool with me. And if he didn't try to explain it, I'm not going to try to one-up Jesus and explain it because he didn't know how. So I'm not even going to bother. It's fun to talk about. and It's fun to get in debates about and read books and have all. But uh, here's the point. Jesus was very comfortable in the Gospels talking about God the Father. You know, when you pray, pray our Father in heaven. He talks about himself being the Son. And then, and then he said, and one is going to come after me and after I'm gone, and he is the Holy Spirit. So we know that there are these three persons, how they relate, what roles they all take, and and all that. Jesus didn't explain all that, so I'm not going to try to. But as a Christian, and in our Christian experience, it becomes very evident that there are indeed these three persons of the Godhead, or what we call the Trinity. Eventually, uh, in just a a couple of years there, what Jesus said came true. Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He ascended into the heavens. And a few weeks later, his closest friends were gathered in a room praying together. And suddenly, the Holy Spirit showed up and indwelt each of them. And when the Holy Spirit showed up, there were some amazing manifestations of that. And they were filled with boldness. And they went out and they began to talk about the fact that Jesus was the promised Messiah and he had risen from the dead. Here's another verse right here I love in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. These are the words of Paul too. He's writing to a group of people that he hasn't even met, all these people yet. He's visited their church. Uh, He spent some time with them, but he's writing this letter. And here's what he says. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is where? In you, who you've received from God. You are not your own. He says, don't you know? Don't you already know that your physical body is a temple? Did no one tell you this? Did you forget that the Holy Spirit, the life of God, the very Spirit of God resides not simply with you? And it was really cool, you know, in Bethlehem when God came down and God with us. But this is a, just a little bit step, little step further that now not just God with us, but God in us. Didn't you know that? And he's writing to believers, to everyday followers of Christ like us. And he says, every single one of you, when you became a Christian, when you became a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God moved and took up residence in you. For some people, I've noticed when they become Christians, when they begin to follow Christ, there's like this immediate manifestation of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you've seen that in people's lives. For some people, you know, I've seen people who for years struggled with an addiction And they place their faith in Christ and really become a devoted follower of him, and the addiction loses its grip, and they just walk away from it. I believe that's a Holy Spirit thing. Those kinds of things. For some people, it's over time. But the main manifestation of the Holy Spirit moving into a life is that over time, things that were of great interest and really important to you at one time become less important. And the things that we had no interest in at one time, we begin to gain interest, and we can't get enough, and we're just super hungry for that. Because some of you know what I'm talking about. So when you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit moved in. And God, through the Holy Spirit, begins to bring about change in the heart and the attitudes and the actions and the relationships of a believer. If we will cooperate with him. And I want to talk about that for a few minutes. I want to talk about how we can cooperate and work with the Holy Spirit. And I want to look at some scripture passages that will give us evidence of what the Holy Spirit will do in us. This is something that's going on in all of us uh, who have put our faith in Christ. And the more that we understand it, and the more that we're aware of it, and the more like we are then to work with him and to cooperate with him and to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. So let's read a few verses, verses from Galatians because uh, I think these verses really explain the relationship of the believer to the Holy Spirit as it relates to day-to-day living. So Galatians chapter 5, we're going to begin with verse 16, and I'm going to read from the New American Standard today. I usually use the NIV, but I chose a New American today because of one word that I think just makes it a little bit clearer. So here we are, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. The Apostle Paul gives us this picture uh, when it comes to our interaction with the Holy Spirit. The best way to describe your interaction with the Holy Spirit is to walk with, to move with, to respond to the Holy Spirit. He says, if you do, if you learn... This is key to walk in the spirit. It's something you learn to do. It's not, you know, it's not something that just comes naturally to us for sure. It's not something that happens overnight, like you pray a magical prayer. But if you learn to walk in the spirit, he says, at the end of the day, you will no longer carry out the desires of the flesh, or your Bible might say the desires of the sin nature, um, which you might say, well, what are those? Chances are you already know what those are. You probably don't need a verse to know what are the desires of the flesh and what are the desires of the sin nature. You might do battle with that on a daily basis. We all know that there is within us something that gravitates towards darkness, something that gravitates to selfishness, something that gravitates to just kind of experiment in the wrong thing. And Paul says if you'd like to break that everyday power of sin in your life, you need to learn to walk by the Spirit. And he gives us a list of the deeds of the flesh just in case we needed a list. So let me read the list to you real quick. Galatians 5, verse 19. The deeds of the flesh are evident. He says, you already know what I'm going to say. In other words, they are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities. He lists just like every possible thing that could disrupt our relationships. Strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. He lists all these things that disrupt your marriage, all these things that disrupt your success at work, all the personality issues and relationship conflicts and all the things that you know, just happen because of selfishness in a relationship or in a group of people. All these things are manifestations of what Paul calls the flesh or the sin nature. Uh, verse 21, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. That's just kind of like, etc. And he says, look, if you will walk by the Spirit, and I'm going to do my best to explain that, what I think that means in just a minute. If you will learn to walk by the Spirit, if you learn to live with the Spirit, he says at the end of the day, you'll be removed from all these things. All these things that tend to dig a bigger, bigger, deeper hole in your life, the things that wreak havoc in your marriage and, and, the, and derail you at work and the things that put you in debt and the things that have long-term ramifications in your health, these kinds of things that all emanate from the self-destructive thing that's in all of us that the, that the Bible refers to as the flesh. He says, if we'll learn to walk by the Spirit, we will no longer as a lifestyle carry out the desires of the flesh. I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, sign me up for that. You know, we are 50 weeks out of of a year, we seem to have a sign-up sheet for something in the lobby. Sign me up for that right there, because I'm all in on that deal. Um, I've lived enough life to know where all those things tend to lead. And Paul says, but I want you to learn to walk by the Spirit. So I want to do my best over the next few minutes to explain what I think that means. Maybe one of the best places to start to explain what it means to walk by the Spirit is to point out what is the opposite of that and what is contrasted um, with that. So if if over here we have live by, walk by the Spirit, uh, the opposite of live by and walk by the Spirit, I believe, is to live life under the law. And I want to, I guess I need to explain what that means for a couple minutes Especially when you read Galatians, you'll find that's what Paul is is kind of battling here, is this battle between living under law and walking by the Spirit. Living under the law is something that you're familiar with, whether you know you're familiar with it or not, because you've done it all your life. It's a Bible phrase to describe describe this phenomenon. Living under the law means that you're born, and as you grow and as you live, you realize just internally, intuitively, instinctively, naturally, that there is a certain law that God has put in all of us. And you kind of know in your heart that stealing's wrong, in fact. You know, even if you steal, you, you're pretty sure that it's wrong for someone to steal from you. So there's something in you that knows that stealing's wrong. You, you just know that. You just know that murder is wrong and cheating on your spouse is wrong. And you just know that there are some things that are right and there are some things that are wrong. And when you come into life and you, know, you kind of grow up and you try to have a job and we have kids and we try to get a, along with people, we just know there are certain things that you do and there are certain things that you don't do. There are just some laws that are kind of written in our hearts. So we get up every day and we try to be a good person, right? Have you ever done that? you ever done that kind of deal, that kind of routine? You just have all these things you know you probably should do and all these things you really shouldn't do, and I'm just committed today to be a good person. you ever tried to do that? That doesn't really work, does it? We try to be a responsible person. We try to be a good husband, be a good wife, be a good parent, because there are certain things you do, there are certain things you don't do, certain things you say, certain things you don't say. We just kind of know. <clears throat> and I found that as you get older, if, when you stay in that place, the list gets longer and longer and longer. And then, and then oh wow, somewhere along the, the line, you become a Christian, and then you get the Bible. And like, that's really helpful. It's like the biggest book you've ever seen. It's certainly the biggest book you own. You know? It's full of laws and more rules. Oh great, thanks a lot, that's really helpful. And not only you are not supposed to cheat on your spouse now, you get in there and you start reading it, you find out Jesus says you don't even lust. So you write that down, you add that to your list of laws, you know, that are just in there anyway. Oh, and you keep reading, it's like, oh, now not only am I not supposed to murder, I'm not supposed to have hatred toward anybody. Oh, write that down, put that on my list of laws. So you're like, I'm not, okay, so I'm not going to lust, I'm not going to hate, and you realize as a Christian now there are more rules, more laws, now you've got to love your neighbor, you've got to love your enemy, you've got to love your wife like Christ loved the church, and there are more rules and more laws, so you get up every day and you're like, boy golly, I'm going to be a good Christian today. And I'm not going to lust, and I'm not going to hate, and I'm going to, and I'm going to, and I'm going to, and I'm going to stay away from that. and I'm not going to do this. And here are the 92 things I'm not going to do today because I want to be a good Christian. And you go out and you get a score of like 70 on a good day Cause, or 60. Some days you get a 20. I know. Some days you get an 80, but those are the days you spend by yourself, you know, because you're like, I'm going to spend the whole day alone today cause, and dramatically reduce the possibility of sinning, you know. So, yeah. So you've been there. So you re- realize, first of all, this, this isn't about uh, heaven things. We're not really talking about afterlife stuff today. This isn't about being a Christian. I'm talking about being a good Christian, okay? And realize, you know, I'm, a, I'm, not, I'm not a very good law keeper. The problem with the whole living under law thing is, number one, that the law focuses you on the line between right and wrong. That's what the law tends to do. It just focuses you there. So when you live life by a set of rules and things you should do and things you shouldn't do, and you're just committed to the list of things, you focus on the line between right and wrong. It just focuses here, because you, you, you know that, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to keep the law, and it says, thou shalt not commit adultery, and so thou shalt not commit adultery. I know that's true, and it's right there on my list, and it's near the top, so you're thinking, what exactly is adultery? I mean, how much can I get away with before I've crossed that line? How much flirting, how much personal conversation, how much emotional connection, how much time, how physical? Because we just want to know, where is the line exactly? Because there's this thing about living under the law that I want to know exactly where the line is between right and wrong. And I'm probably, once I figure that out, I'm going to live right next to the line. I, for one, drive the speed limit, at least. Don't you? (laughs) Don't you? It's a kind of, it's just the way we're, it's, I guess it's the way we're wired in our sin nature. This kind of thinking that living under the law focuses you right on the line, and it tends to draw you right to the edge, where basically, here's the question we're asking without, without really asking it, is how wrong can I be without sinning? How close to sin can I get without actually sinning? That's what living under the law does. It draws you to the edge. The other thing that living under the law does, number two, is it causes you to start looking for (laughs) loopholes. I uh, am working on a book on that because I'm the master. You think you are, but I am. We start looking for loopholes. It sounds like this. Oh, but you said clean out the dishwasher. You didn't say put all the dishes away. That's a loophole. We just, we're always looking for loopholes. And that's not a good thing when we're talking about following Christ. When Jesus showed up, the men who knew the law the best had written books and books of loopholes. They'd written books full of loopholes. That's basically what it was, The the law of the Pharisees. Here's what the law is, but that's too hard. So here's what you can do to kind of get around that and circumvent the law. For instance, in Ephesians, it says, don't be drunk with wine, but it doesn't say anything about beer. I'm just saying, okay? So put that, it can be your first chapter in your book of loopholes, all right? It's that kind of thing where we're always looking for a way to kind of sneak in around the rule, around the law, and in the back door, and just, woo, here we are. It's, uh, we're constantly looking for loopholes. Living under the law and approaching the Christian life under the law will tend to gravitate you towards the edge because you're constantly looking for those loopholes. And the reason you want a loophole is because you're not good enough and I'm not good enough to keep God's law consistently. We're not. So either you have to dumb it down so you feel good about yourself or you feel guilty all the time and you just abandon Christianity altogether. And that happens to people all the time. It's why some of you left the church at some point in your story because you said, I can't be that good. To be honest, I don't even want to be that good. I don't even like those people. They're weirdos. Because the the law condemns. The law says, bet you can't jump this high. I knew you couldn't jump this high. (laughs) Ha, look at you. You can't jump this high. So number three, I would say, is the law sets a standard and condemns. It sets a standard and condemns. It sets a standard and condemns. And it's always kind of moving the standard. And here's some good news. That is not the Christian life. That is not the life that we've been called to live. The Christian life is, there's joy. There's no joy living under the law. So this ought to be good news for all of us. It ought to be good news for some, it's new news for some of you. If you aren't a Christian, you're probably confused right now because you thought that this was the whole Christian life. Here are all the things that I've got to stay away from and here are all the things I've got to do. I want to show you a verse that I'm not really sure if I can explain to you adequately, but uh, this is one of those verses that I just hope you'll hang on to and maybe look at it every day for a couple weeks or print it out or write it out or stick it somewhere and just say, you know, God, Todd didn't explain this very well. Um, I want to know what this means. Because in this one verse is the contrast that sets us up to understand what it means to walk according to the Spirit. Because walking by the Spirit is very different from living under the law. The law always condemns. But if you're in Christ and you place your faith in Christ, you are not a condemned person. So let me read this verse. This is also in Galatians chapter five kind of working our way through this. Um, We're at verse 18. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Look at that. Just, Just look at that verse. If you learn as a Christian to walk in the Spirit, if you learn to be led by the Spirit, you are no longer forced to live under the law. These are two very different approaches to life. And if you don't learn to live by the Spirit then all you have is the law. And you can go for it. Good luck with that. you know. I guess we'll cheer you on or something. But you'll do better on some days than others. But at the end of the day, you're always going to feel like you fall short because, newsflash, you have, and you're always going to feel a little bit condemned. And when God sees us doing that, I think he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't send my son into the world with ten more commandments tucked under his arm. And I didn't send my son into the world to set the bar even higher so you have no hope of getting there. He would say, I sent my son into the world for you to have life. And so I've sent him with a completely different way, completely different approach to life. So what does it mean if you're led by the spirit, you're no longer under the law? What's that mean? I want to give you three little contrasts. And uh, I want to try to make this as clear as possible because these are two very different orientations. And I don't think you can kind of, one, you have to learn. And I guess maybe one, we have to unlearn. Here's the first one. Let me just give these to you. Hope this will help. Number one. The law is about being committed to something. I'm committing to keeping these laws. I'm committing to obeying these rules. I'm going to do what Jesus said. I'm committed. I'm committed. I'm committed. Walking by the Spirit is about being surrendered to someone. There's a big difference between commitment to something and surrender to someone. Big difference. What the Christian life is about is not commitment to something it's about surrender to someone commitment says here's what i'm going to do surrender says just show me where to go commitment says i'm going to follow the law surrender says i'm going to follow you so that's number 1 number 2 the law is about following a list where it was walking by the spirit is about following a person there's nothing intimate there's nothing personal about a list of rules There's something very intimate and very personal about following your Heavenly Father and following your Savior and following the promptings of the Holy Spirit. The thing that takes Christianity and lifts it out of the realm of religion is that it's not about a list of rules. Religion is about, I'm going to do... It's it's not even about I'm committed to doing some things to please God. Christianity is really not about anything you can do. Christianity is about a relationship. And so in order for it to remain relational... We have to move away from the law to this relational side of things where we learn to walk by the promptings and the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's a difference between giving you directions or having you follow me somewhere. You know, big difference. You know, hey, here's a map. I just sketched this out. Here's a map to my house and follow my map here. You can't miss it. You look for the big tree on the left next to the, the truck with the blue, you know, whatever. Like, as opposed to, hey, I'll get my car. You just follow me. I'll lead you there. If I give you a map, you focus on the map you follow me, your focus is on me. So number three, the law is about staying between the guardrails. And walking by the Spirit is like keeping your eye on the car in front of you. Guardrails are kind of like the law. They keep you safe. They keep you from going off the road. But keeping your eye on the car in front of you is about you following Someone. So I want to give you a definition that I came across this week, and it's not original, but I love it. It's not in the Bible, but it's just a summary that kind of helps me understand this thing. That walking by the Spirit is simply sensitivity and surrender to the promptings of God's Spirit. It's sensitivity and surrender to the promptings of God's Spirit. It's sensitivity to, it's learning to hear that quiet voice. And then it's acting and responding and learning to follow those promptings of the Holy Spirit. I think that's what it means to walk by the Spirit. And just to kind of clear this up, doesn't mean that you get up in the morning and you kind of sit on the edge of the bed and you're like, well, what's wrong, honey? Oh, nothing, just kind of waiting for my instructions. Not sure, haven't heard from God yet today. Don't really know what to do, and where to go. It's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is this, and many of you have experienced this. It's just going through your day. And learning to listen. And learning to pay attention to those promptings of the Holy Spirit. It's going through your day learning to listen, learning to pay attention. And then it's learning to respond to those promptings. When you know that this isn't my fear talking to me. This isn't my past talking to me. This isn't isn't my grandfather's wise old sayings talking to me. This is the Holy Spirit. It's learning to listen and pay attention and responding to the promptings of the Spirit. Anytime you're prompted by the Holy Spirit, there are at least a dozen reasons to ignore Him. You can reason around Him. You can work around Him. You can ignore Him. He doesn't usually shout. And some of us have learned the hard way that what happens when you, what happens when you ignore Him or when you hesitate, You know, sometimes it's, it's a moral issue, you know, don't spend the night at your girlfriend's house, you know, get married before you move in together, that kind of thing. Other times it's kind of a season of life thing, the way that God's leading you, you know, get a job, don't get a job, get a new job, stay in the job. We have to learn, listen, we have to learn, not, not to get up every morning committed to, I'm gonna be good, I'm gonna be a good Christian today, but to get up every morning and say, I'm gonna follow, I'm gonna surrender, I'm gonna, I wanna pay attention, I want to respond, I wanna walk by the Spirit today. The Apostle Paul goes on and he kind of uh, does something here. He kind of gives us a snapshot of where walking by the Spirit takes us. He says, if you walk according to the flesh and ignore the Spirit, there's drunkenness and envy and strife and all this junk that eventually if you keep doing it, this stuff will ruin your relationships and you'll probably end up in jail, okay, if it's left unchecked. He says, but let me tell you where walking by the Spirit will take you. Listen to this. This is also Galatians 5, verse 22. Pretty familiar verse in churches. He says, the fruit of the Spirit, that is, the outcome of walking by the Spirit, the result of responding to these promptings of God's Spirit in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And I love this next line. Against such things there is no law. I think this is an amazing insight. He's saying, look, 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 look. The the deeds of the flesh over here that I've listed for you already, eventually, if you take those to an extreme, you're going to break somebody's law. You're going to break God's law. You're going to break man's law. If you have enough envy, enough jealousy, enough strife, you will destroy your relationships. Taken to the extreme, you'll end up in jail, and you will lose your freedom. All those things have their limit. But the thing that God wants to create in us and the direction that God wants to take us, there is no limit. You're never going to get in trouble for being too loving. You are not going to be too... You can't be too joyful. You can't be too gentle. You can't have too much self-control. The result of the spirit-led life is that those characteristics of God find root in your life and they can be taken to an extreme and that's a good thing because there's no law against any of that. So even if you look at this list and you're like, well, I'm not so sure I can be that kind of person. I'm not sure. I even want to be that kind of person. Listen, I guarantee you that's the kind of person you'd like to be married to. I guarantee it's the kind of person you'd like to work for or to have work for you. I guarantee you want to raise those kinds of kids because you know there's value there. But the Christian life is not about have more self-control. Be patient, be kinder, be gentler, be more committed. Stop, 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 do, 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 do. That's law. God says, no, 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 that's not what we're doing here. That's not, I'm committed today to be more loving and be more joyful and be more self-controlled. I'm committed to that. No, God is saying, that's not, that's not where, how I want this to work. I want this to be true of you, but not by trying, 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 trying. I want you to learn in time to let me lead you there because this is about a relationship, not a list of things to do. And Paul says being a follower of Christ is characterized by walking by the Spirit. One last verse, Galatians 5, verse 25. Paul says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, or let us walk by the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, since you became a Christian and the Holy Spirit moved inside of you, let's live the way we're ultimately called to live. Let's keep in step. Let's walk by the Spirit. Give you two phrases to kind of bring this all together, and then I'm done. And they're simply this: pay attention. That's the first one. Some of you went, pay attention, and keep in step. Pay attention, and keep in step. Would you say that with me? Pay attention, keep in step. If you're a Christ follower. It's waking up tomorrow morning and saying, today, God, help me to pay attention to the promptings of your Holy Spirit that when I start down a road or I think it's a good idea or I think I should, today I just want to learn to pay attention. Help me in the course of my day to pay attention to the Holy Spirit. And then, while I'm paying attention, I want to keep in step. When I realize I'm halfway through the day and I'm off on my own tangent, doing my own thing, I'm a little bit off course here, I just want to pause. I want to get back in sync. I don't want to be a Christ follower whose life is in step with the Holy Spirit because I'm not a good law keeper and I'm glad you didn't call me to keep the law. I want to be a Christ follower who learns to pay attention and then keep in step with the Holy Spirit. So that's my feeble attempt of the best of my ability to explain what it means to walk by the Spirit. And that's why the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in us to whisper, to prompt to warn, to confirm. That's the work of the Holy Spirit of God in you, who's leading you, who wants you to live not as a law keeper, who's really committed, but as someone who is walking in step with the Holy Spirit. It's pretty simple instructions, really pay attention, keep in step. What do I do after that? I'll just pay attention and keep in step. Well, what's next? Pay attention and keep in step. And if this will become the habit and the practice of our lives, and if we learn this, it's not overnight. It's not a one-time decision. It's not like a magic prayer you pray. It's not some outward manifestation. But if you will engage in the process of learning this, your life will change. You will slowly lose interest in some of those things that dominate your life, and you will gain interest in other things. Somebody's going to walk up to you in a few weeks or a few months' time and say, something's different about you. I've noticed that, and I can't figure it out. What's going on? And you probably aren't even going to be able to explain it. Now listen, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, let me, let me just tell you this. This is one of the here and now benefits of the Christian life. And if you've dug a hole so deep, you're wondering how you're ever going to kind of get out of that and you're saying, God, help me, but God doesn't seem to be helping and you're trying, but you just can't find the self-control and the t- determination and the consistency, you know. You just can't find the discipline. I, I just want to seriously encourage you to think about placing your faith in Jesus Christ this morning because when you do... You get some help. You get divine help. You get this gift from your Heavenly Father that is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God who moves into your life and begins to empower you to live the life that you're called to live. Chances are when you've heard a gospel presentation, it's been heavy on the afterlife talk and light on the here and now conversation. So like for me, uh, the promise of heaven is awesome. But honestly, I can't get my mind around that. So that's so otherworldly that I struggle to connect with that sometimes. But the idea that through the process and the, through the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life as a follower of Christ, and I, as I place my trust in Him for my salvation, for my purpose, for my significance, for my spiritual freedom, as I do that, that through His Spirit, He takes up residence in my life to prompt me, to guide me, to lead me, to warn me, to illuminate truth in my life. And ultimately, ultimately, the fruit of that, the result is to add love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control in my life. And the idea that I don't have to be committed to adding those qualities to my life I just need to be surrendered to him I just need to stay engaged in the process of learning to pay attention and learning to keep in step and learning to know his promptings and to respond accordingly that when I do that over time he is responsible to add these qualities to my life if that's the case I'm all in that's something I can get my head around and I want that you probably do too so if you're here today and you don't really consider yourself a follower of Christ and you think maybe you're ready to say yes to his invitation, to accept his invitation, to follow him, to place your trust in him, I would love to talk with you for a few minutes before we leave here today after this service is done. In fact, if, if, this, if I'm talking to you, what I would encourage you to do is, is while we're singing, in a few minutes we're going to sing some music, sing some songs, play some music. I just invite you at any time to come down to the front and just, just take, find a spot here near the front. Um, you, that way you don't have to wait another 20 minutes and maybe, you know, forget or kind of lose your motivation. Just, res, to res, just respond any before we end the service. Respond to the Spirit's promptings. If that means you come to the front and just take a position there, that way I'll know that we're going to have a conversation afterwards that I'll make you my priority as soon as we're done this the service. All right? There's nothing magical about coming to the front. It just shows me that I'm going to have a conversation with, with you before I talk to anybody else. If you're a believer this morning, many of you are. Maybe you're a seasoned Christian. Many of you are. You've been doing the church thing, Christian life thing for a long time, but maybe you realize this morning that you've been trying to be a lock You've been trying to keep all the rules and meet all those expectations, and you've been trying to be committed to what you think God expects from you. And maybe you're coming to realize that what God has called you to do has nothing to do with committing or promising or self-help or rededicating or anything like that that the only thing he's called you to do is to surrender you're like I don't know what to do surrender surrender to the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life let me tell you when you come to that place when you're ready to walk away from committing and promising and trying and rule keeping when you're ready to walk away from that there is just so much freedom Right before the Apostle Paul said to walk by the Spirit in Galatians 5, he said, you are called to live in freedom. You're called to be free. That freedom is found in a life surrendered. So if that's where you find yourself today, I just want to encourage you to take a moment. And again, maybe while we're singing in the next few minutes to respond to the Holy Spirit's promptings in your heart this morning, I would suggest that maybe if that's you, you just sit down while the rest of us were probably standing while we sing. Just sit down, even kneel at your seat. I don't care. Leave the building. Go for a walk. Whatever you got to do, spend a few minutes with your Heavenly Father. Acknowledge to Him that you've been approaching life as a follower of Christ as if it were about keeping some rules and express to Him that your intention to abandon that approach, anything that leans on my commitment and trying and law-keeping and stuff I can do, and that you're ready to surrender all of that to Him. That's our application. Let's listen, let's pay attention, and let's respond. Pay attention and keep in step. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you. When Jesus left this earth, he didn't leave us alone. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As excited as we were as humanity, that God is with us. This gift of the Holy Spirit, God, in us, as Jesus said, is even better. So we're thankful for that. Father, for the person in this room who's been struggling with keeping the law and being committed and being that good Christian and just, I'm determined to do it, and yet falling short, falling short, falling short. God, I pray that you'd give us the courage to quit trying to keep it between the guardrails, to quit following a list of rules, to quit following something, and to just follow you. To abandon that law-keeping mentality and to just lean into following you. Some of us already know this, but we need to be reminded to keep it front and center. Heavenly Father, I pray that your spirit would speak just loud enough into our lives that it'd be clear that as we listen, that we would respond. You've already freed us from living under the law. God, I pray that we would live accordingly, live in the kind of freedom you've called us to live in. We invite you to start something new in us. Some of us need to begin this process of learning to walk by the Spirit. Some of us need a fresh fire lit within us. God, we acknowledge our dependence on you. We want to live surrendered to your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I, uh, I actually want to play a, a music video, so uh, watch this.
1: This world can be cold and bitter. It feels like we're in the dead of winter. Waiting on something better. But am I really...